1: Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going today?
0: I'm nervous, Ben, because game four of Celtics-Raptors is tonight. Yeah,
1: imagine your team still being in the playoffs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, um, let's hope for, for
1: your for your sanity that the Celtics can work to close them out. Um, well, they're not going I mean, they they the to close them out. I mean, they should they should have the ability to to close them out tonight. towards closing them out game five hopefully for you um yeah yeah, we're not talking about the celtics today as much as i'm sure max would like to well actually Actually, we actually are going to talk about the
0: celtics at some point (laughs) yeah
1: i mean they work their way into just about every episode we do but we have another mailbag um as that's kind of our go-to when we don't have any ideas and all of you seem to enjoy them uh Thank you for uh, sending in questions on pretty short notice. Uh, But we got quite a few, and if you didn't answer yours, feel free to to drop it uh, to either of our Twitters, and we can answer there. Uh, But without rambling anymore, let's just get into this mailbag with our first question. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit BetOnline.ag to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back sports bonuses. Bet online. You're on your online wagering experts.
0: All right. Our first question is from, I think probably our most common guest and uh, good friend of the program. PD at above yeah, the break three on Twitter. Uh, what is the longest term exposure you've had to a prospect and how did that experience alter your evaluation approach generally? Mm. So I went
1: with Killian Hayes uh, as my guy here. Um, just in terms of you know the first time I saw him, um, well actually I-, I wasn't totally chronological with him. Um, first time I really paid attention uh, to him was was with Chalet, um, where where you know he was you know certainly a good prospect, had you know flaws that he doesn't have as significant now. In terms of his point of attack defense, you know his shot creation and you know overall athletic tools are much improved from that point. But then uh, after that, before I, I you know I watched plenty of his UM games you know, this season. You know he was he was really rough in in FIBA. I think it was the U seventeen or it was U seventeen or U eighteen tournament. One of one of those FIBA tournaments. Um, and I mean yeah, I mean he couldn't get by anybody in that tournament. It was like, especially against that team USA, it was really brutal um, just watching him try to play offense against them. And even against some of the weaker teams in that tournament, um, he struggled to get his own offense going. Um, I mean, yeah, and it obviously is so much different of a player this season with UM just a couple years later. Um, I guess, you know, that was probably the main one that taught me how important development curve and and multiple context is and getting that that sample as wide as possible for for all of the players you're scouting because I mean if you I mean if the last of Killian Hayes you saw was like Chalet or or FIBA you'd think he was like a 20s range prospect but you know not only understanding you know what he is now but understanding where he was in the past and how quickly his development has happened is an important component in understanding what he could potentially get to in the future so that Killian Hayes was, was my answer Max uh what you got here
0: I feel like PD was setting us up to say Killian with this, because, yeah, because he's currently working on on a Killian piece, and um, he's just like, yeah, it's been he he's emphasized so many times that how ridiculous the athletic improvements that Killian's made are, um, so I, I live, I, I like I've seen three years worth of like a bunch of the top guys this year i guess i saw so i saw junior year like retroactively but then saw like senior and their freshman years of college so like yeah and, yeah you know, max i don't like e. consider
1: live because like i just don't have enough sample really yeah yeah year, so, so those
0: guys well i don't mean i don't mean live as in like while the games are happening but like yeah you know, following yeah yeah year by year yeah um but retroactively the answer for me is definitely jason tatum um, you're know, already stealing, steering this towards Celtics. Cause I've seen Tatum. <laughs> I, I don't remember.
1: Like, if,
0: I don't remember if the first game I've seen, I've seen high school games back to either sophomore or junior year. I'm not, sh- I think junior year, but no, 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 no. I think sophomore year. Yeah. I've seen, so I've seen sophomore, junior, senior, freshman year at Duke. And then like, I don't know, 258 of the 260 NBA games he's played or something like that. Many of them many times. Uh, and then I've seen um, Eybl from after his junior year and FIBA, um, and then I'll, and then FIBA this past summer as well. So I've seen <laughs> I've seen a lot of Jason Tatum, um, and what I've learned from that is, I mean, definitely understanding context that he's played a lot of different roles from like isolation four at Duke to. Like creator guard creator uh, as a as a high schooler and UIBL player to um, you know whatever ungodly thing he is now um, <laughs> the like superstar wing creator uh, so yeah just seeing seeing him in a bunch of different roles but I think that especially when you're talking about big time star level prospects understanding what a like the, what a player has been asked to do. Um, and why certain skills have been apparent or hidden, I think is really important. So like with Jason, uh, in, in that, um, in that P- in those peach jam games that I've seen, like he first, of all, he's like a six, six guard and like a pretty ridiculous creator for a guy that age and size. Like he was playing a pick and roll, like making very impressive reads. And I think that as he grew between his junior and senior years, uh, he definitely lost some of the handling ability that he had. Uh, it was just a little less comfortable with the ball, and you saw that pick and roll play I think go away for a few years as he became more of like a post up isolation four at Duke. Um, so I don't I don't I don't find it surprising that he has sort of reemerged as one of the best pick and roll players in the NBA now um, in year three. But I think if you if you had only watched Jason Tatum at Duke, you'd be totally stunned by that. Uh, I think if you only watched Jason Tatum at Duke, you might not think that he's the smartest player. But then, you know, going back to Peach Jam stuff, like he's making reads that for a six-six basketball player are absurd. Like you don't that you don't see. Um, I think that if you you know if you're surprised that he's one of the best shot makers in the league, he has always been a total outlier shot maker. Back to when he was 15 years old, dropping 40 in in um, Chaminade games. Like he, uh, I think you can see a lot of things reemerge as hindrances melt away like adjusting to his body and obviously that's something that's relevant for a lot of young players that they're growing and physically changing and they have to adjust and they're playing in in different roles so so i think that by seeing so many years of different players you can really start to see what skills are actually there what or you know what what might be hidden by a specific context uh so i mean like we've emphasized so much on this on this show that uh you know, you got to watch guys in multiple contexts, context, ideally across multiple years, uh, because you're going to miss things if you don't.
1: All right. So let's go with our next question uh, from at Mike Roth OU. Uh, Which shorter players do you think will be able to defend centers at the next level? Doesn't have to be to the scale of PJ Tucker, but in a similar sense.
0: Uh, I had a couple. Uh, So I, first one I had is Isaac Okoro. Uh, I think he can definitely guard bigger players with success just because of how strong he is, uh, the fact that he can he can generate leverage, and, and that he has the intelligence and leaping ability that I think you'll actually be able to play him defensively as a big man. Uh, the other one I had was Nate Hinton, just because he really fights, um, that he can hold up as a rebounder, that he has such good instincts. Uh, but I, I didn't. I like. I don't feel super confident about a lot of these guys. Yeah. Like there, there are some like guys who are just small fives, like Xavier Tillman, uh, who I, I don't really worry about him guarding centers at all. But like he is a center. He's not like some, yeah. some small player who's going to play up. But Okoro and Hinton were the guys who came to court. Yeah.
1: I I mean I thought Okoro, um Okoro was like the only one I, I wrote down. Um Hinton, like if you like combined his like gave his rebounding to, to Okoro, like <laughs> that would be fun. I kind of wanted to use this question and I liked it as more of just to make a point about PJ Tucker and the rarity of PJ Tucker and the danger of making PJ Tucker comparisons. I mean PJ Tucker is a, a six foot five, thirty-five year old who is a legitimate deterrent for a team that doesn't play a big. I mean, he he is really impossible to find in in any sense. Um and you see more PJ Tucker comparisons than you should. Um or people are looking for, you know, these, these this small ball five defender when there really is nobody like him. Um as short as PJ Tucker who is as strong and is capable of protecting the rim, you know, not n- not in the blocks way, but in, in more of a deterrence way um i guess like a like like i said if i had to pick someone in the draft in this class i'd, I'd go with a um because you know has the is a little taller has the strength leaping, intelligence but still like no, probably not even not going to be as strong as pj tucker it's just it's just such a difficult thing to replicate and he's not he's not as long either. no he's not as long as tucker. pj tucker is quite long Yeah, I
0: think he's got a seven-foot wingspan. I mean,
1: Tucker's, like, such an interesting, like, a crazy, fascinating case study. I mean, like, he was the German League MVP, um, like, late in his 20s. And now he's playing in this, like, uber role-player role with a great team in in, in, in his mid-30s. But I I just think it's, like, comparing guys to P.J. Tucker is kind of foolish in, in most cases yeah the um, only
0: the only guy who like is actually that comparable is grant williams like it, it's true that the oh like there's not really anyone else that size um and even grant even has grant is two inches.
1: inches taller yeah yeah grant's I
0: mean, got a couple grant, inches but he, I mean, he yeah but he actually has the body type like grant's 6'6 240 <laughs> um he's not as long as pj i think he's a 6'10 wingspan um I mean, neither is a particularly prodigious vertical leaper. But Grant is is a guy who actually has the strength, knows how to use it, and actually has the intelligence, uh, and I think the mobility as well. Uh, so I think he's the rare guy who can do it. But, like, there aren't PJ Tuckers. Um, yeah. There aren't really... They really don't like,
1: lie around. I mean. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, there's a reason PJ Tucker is super coveted and valuable and has, like, been integral to this bizarre thing the Rockets are doing. He's, yeah he's kind of one yeah, of Yeah, I mean
1: the reason this like this th- this micro ball rockets has actually been good defensively is you know largely because of the presence of Tucker and there's just nobody in this draft or in most drafts who can come close to replicating that. Yeah,
0: anymore. not in this draft. I did see Spencer uh Proman friend of the program uh recent guest saying on Twitter, I think he was uh, likening Eve Palm to PJ Tucker and like
1: He's different still. I mean, this doesn't come close to the, to the level
0: of intelligence. Exactly. It, that's exactly the problem. And the and his shot is a question as well. Yeah. But like like even Eve, who but, is
1: like he could be a rim deterrent, but like in a different way. Like
0: Yeah, yeah. In a just like really, really absurd vertical leaper. But
1: not in like the all world strength in and and intelligence way that, that yeah. you know,
0: that, that PJ is. So Yeah, Eve can probably move better than all these guys though yeah i mean but even even differently i mean yeah like if eve were in this class i think he would probably be like the guy that i would tab as this but but he's not like too different yeah we'll talk about this later but um to like part of being pj tucker is also being super super smart um and not a lot of guys are that smart um should we move on
1: um. Yeah. That's. Uh, you know. Let me quickly say we we have mentioned the Celtics in two questions in a row. Let's see. How, let's see how many questions we can keep it up for. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah.
0: Well. It's it's gonna it's gonna continue on this one. Uh. So this is from uh, Robel Tussin. Uh. Any realizations you made while watching the playoffs that affected uh some movement on your board or just a change in philosophy in general?
1: Um. I don't know about each, like like I wouldn't say any real changes in philosophy. Um. Just just kind of reinforcing that offense and creation like really really matters. Um, especially when you get down to it in the playoffs, I mean, uh, I think about like the OKC series where, yes, it was very close, but I mean, OKC really just lacked offensive players outside of their stars. Like, like yes, like guys like Lou Dort, who we'll talk about later, get you know get lots of credit for being great defensively, but he, Terrence Ferguson, even Darius Basley in the half court, really have nothing to, to offer offensively. And, you know that ended up hurting OKC a lot against the Rockets team that. Played worse than they than like than they could have, but you know ha- doesn't you know has the offensive firepower to you know outscore any team on any given night. So just looking for guys who can create shots at some level like is really important. And it's just I mean that's that's something Max and I have harped on like all year on this podcast that we're looking for shot creators, looking for guys that can create advantages and get their own shots. Um, just watching these playoffs, I mean. Obviously, you know, what, looking for guys like who can do a what someone like Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell did in the first round, like that's not you know a, a repeatable sample. But um, you know, guys who can generate their own shots are, are supremely valuable. Um, I mean that that's the main thing. And just like that, like you know, it, it, like if you want to be a role player, like a defense defense first role players have to be like incredibly elite on defense to really be valuable. Um, I think
0: that's. That's still yeah, clear. You have like, to be not actively harmful on offense. Right, exactly.
1: Exactly. Like and like if you are, you have you have to be like an all defense level player to compensate. And even then, like 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 you have to be able to do something, like like even just more like more than spot us to be really valuable. You need some decision making or some ancillary dribbling or passing. Um, just that like the bar to be like a playoff level NBA player is really high. Um, to be a good playoff basketball player, you have to be a really good basketball player. And I think people kind of forget about that when it comes to the draft, that you, like it takes a specific, it, 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 not only like a, a specific level of, of goodness, but a specific type of player to really contribute in the playoffs at, at a high level.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on here. Um, so I guess to get the easy part out of the way, no, I have not made any changes to my board uh, because of the playoffs. However... Yep. Uh, general thoughts that have, you know, I guess kind of confirmed some of my thinking and, and, like, emboldened me on some things. Uh, So, like, I want to address the creator thing because I'm not sure the takeaway from that Denver-Utah series should be that everyone needs to tra- chase crazy off the dribble creation because I kind of think that the, the, like, thought process should more be, like, Look how high the bar is for off-the-dribble creation. Like, think about it. Someone like Michael Porter Jr., who is, like, a really good off-the-dribble creating prospect, is, like, kind of totally incapable of playing in the playoffs because he's, like, not a good decision maker and is a horrid defensive player. Like, I kind of think that, like, the bar for those guys is insanely high, and you really don't want the wrong guy. And, like, and that's not to say that, that, like, the Bulls have the same surrounding talent as the Jazz, but, like, there is a differentiate – there's strong differentiation between Zach Levine and Donovan Mitchell. Like, you're talking about really different levels of decision makers um, and guys who can really drive team offense, and the, the the bar for that is just really, really high, which fits into a general idea of the bar for just intelligence in the playoffs being insanely high, um, that the speed – uh correctness and even and really anticipation with which you need to make decisions in the playoffs in any role is really really high like if you're a role man your decision about you know kicking to the corner or the wing or finishing and what kind of finish you're going to attempt um you know that has to be instantaneous if you're a, if you're playing you know if you're a wing and you're standing at the at um you're standing on the wing and you catch the ball like You need to be shooting or swinging it or attacking a closeout. And it needs to be with zero delay whatsoever, because if not, like if you're doing that against, if you're playing against Toronto, like they're going to scramble back into shape and that defense is going to be back in a shell and it's going to be impenetrable. Um, And then you're going to, you know, then you're going to have to give you reset your offense and. And have that you know your whoever is is driving your offense attempt to create another advantage. Like you can't afford to be sacrificing the what advantages you do create in the playoffs because it's so hard to do it. Um, so I just think that the bar for uh, the intelligence bar to actually contribute in the playoffs is insanely high, ranging from everyone from you know a role man to a, a guy who's primarily a spot up shooter to Giannis, who we've seen like struggle immensely as the Bucks are en route to, you know, a pretty historic upset. um, I just think that the bar for that is so insanely high and it definitely validates the idea that like a kind of above all else uh, in the draft, you need to be prioritizing smart players.
1: Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that even extends like bench creators. I mean, go, going back to the jazz. I mean, you look at some, you talk about making quick decisions, talk about someone like Jordan Clarkson who, who you know can generate his own offense, but like his he's so slow in terms of processing the court and being decisive with his attacks. And I mean, you see that slowdown Utah's offense all the time. It doesn't even amount for the you know his lack of value out of off the ball. Um, it's just it's just hard to be a great role player if you can't make good decisions. Um, yeah, just definitely echoing that. Like,
0: I mean, look look at the Lakers that they don't have another guy who can create in the playoffs. Like. It, It's really, it's a high bar. Oh, and the the other thing I wanted to say was was this is kind of like a growing theme over a few years, and I'm sure that um, you'll be able to relate to this, Ben, that not having glaring weaknesses in the playoffs is very important because this was was like a big thing to me with um, the Celtics against the Pacers that like the Pacers had a bunch of guys who were good, but you put Thad Young, who's like a really, really good player, into a playoff series – and he just totally destroys your offense. Yeah. Like, you put Boyan Bogdanovich, who's a really good offensive player, into a playoff series, and he totally destroys your defense. Like, th- these guys who have pretty glaring weaknesses are really harmful. So like for everything that Lou Dort was doing to slow James Harden, like the way that Houston could just completely ignore, ignore him, him on offense, like, yeah. like even, even in a game where he's variancing into hitting all of these threes, like how many possessions are being disrupted because Lou Dort's defender can just play free safety. You know, it's, it's so many and it, it's not showing up in box score numbers, but that's the sort of thing that's, that's it's um, going to be borne out in plus minus numbers because it's just – every single possession, you're you're hindered because these guys are on the floor. And, and the opposing team can just take advantage of it. Uh, yeah, if
1: you're – yeah, I mean, just quickly, like like you have to be so good at, at one side of the ball, so, so elite, if you're going to be a clear negative on the other side in the playoffs. Like, I mean, someone like Damian Lillard, who is like a solid negative on defense, can – can can make up for it because he's you know arguably the best offensive player in the league. But I mean like whoa thinking, whoa whoa what? I, I mean like in the bubble like mm. I mean, he's very in the bubble. All right, a little hyperbolic. Maybe a little hyperbolic, but a, a very elite offensive player. Yes, yeah, and op- a very op- a very elite offensive player can can make up for that defensive deficiency. But like you said, someone someone like Boyan Bogdanovich who was you know a good offensive player and was very useful for the Pacers um I, I, yeah i mean i, I think this, the the thad young one is even more salient i think
0: yeah.
1: I, 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 I think even like you know people talk about um guys getting hunted you know bad defenders getting hunted that's that, that's a common trope i think like negative offensive players is almost even worse even more it, glaring
0: it, yeah it's really yeah. bad man. when you when you have Shemi ogelay on the court in a playoff yeah. game it's bad. You, cause then you can, you can have, you know, OG Anunobi just chilling off the ball and he can impact shots at the right. Yeah, because can- at
1: least with, you know, with defense, you can send, you, you can, you know, help is a thing. But yeah. like, with, like, it, it becomes exponentially more difficult when you just have a total zero on offense. I mean, like, mean again, like, that's why you just need, like, it's just like the theme of this episode is like the bar to be a playoff contributor is really, really high. Like, you know, cough cough some eastern conference coaches have learned that um rotations don't need to aren't that um that wide that deep for a reason that's because teams just don't have that many players no, no team has that many players who can positively contribute consistently in the playoff like, like there just aren't that many of those guys in the league period i mean let alone one team
0: like, yeah playoff basketball is really really hard <laughs> it is the, the best
1: competition in the world for a reason i mean
0: uh All should right. we move on
1: yeah. Um. So, taking a little break from the the playoff talk. Uh. This is from C Jenkins underscore W X. Players who you think are likely undrafted that you would take a flyer on.
0: Okay. So I've got the a bunch of guys that are like prime two way targets to me. Um. For I think two ways should largely be spent on like wingy types who have like we'll say one glaring flaw usually like a wingy type that you need to develop like either athletically or as a shooter or like you know you're just guys who are not far off from being nba wings um because they're, that's such a valuable commodity um so i've got nate hinton Najee marshall mason jones trace tinkle trent forrest and christian doolittle um they're, they're all like wing adjacent forward adjacent um guys who need to you know range from improve their shooting to uh you know see what what an NBA team can do to unlock athletically from them uh but I think those guys are I think they're all outside of ESPN's top 60 so conceivably could go undrafted um and I think all represent pretty solid two-way bets and then the other guy um is Killian Tilly uh you know the injury issues are are you know explain themselves but as just like you a uh, you know pure talent and intellect on the basketball court uh not a lot of guys better than him in this class if i had any belief that i could get like two years of 60 games out of killian tilly i would take him around 20th probably you know if he had no injuries i think he'd top ten pick, yeah he really i mean any- he'd be long gone from gonzaga first of all yeah um but he, yeah, brilliant player. I mean, you talk about guys who can hang intellectually in the playoffs. Like Killian Tilly is that guy. Uh, his movement is still great. His shooting, I think, could be like really quite plus for a big man. Uh, I mean, just does everything you want from a big man. Um, so yeah, I like if if Killian Tilly is going undrafted, uh, he's absolutely worth it. I would give him an NBA contract, honestly even if I didn't, like, as long as long as it has a way for me to get out after, like, a year, um, e- even if I didn't really believe in him from a health standpoint, I'd probably do it because he's that good. Uh, but, yeah, if you think you can get, like, a couple years out of and Tilly, he's, he's worth so much because he really is incredible at basketball.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't include Tilly because I just didn't think about him not getting drafted. But, yeah, I mean, Tilly should obviously be in yeah. – Tilly should obviously been there. I also had Hinton. I had Doolittle. I had Tinkle. Um, I had Tyshawn because like he's outside the top sixty on DX, and I'm like, there's no way he should be outside the top sixty.
0: I feel like um, Tyshawn probably gets drafted. Yeah, I,
1: I, and I was gonna say I, I think he does as well, but he's outside the sixty on ESPN's board, and I'm like, he he does not. Um, in terms of other wingy types, I had Josh Hall as like a guy who's like potentially a pretty good offensive player. Who plays no defense at all? Someone like <laughs> worth a two way flyer, I think, to just throw in the G League for a while. Not going to contribute anytime soon, but worth a flyer. Also, Lamin Um freak athlete, athlete, really impressive motor athlete type with a little bit of skill, but you know, lots of holes in terms of shooting and decision making. Again, another guy who I just like to throw in the G League for a while, um, see, see what kind of development I can get on. And then I, dude. Um, um the other guy i had was was new podcast favorite freddie gillespie um as just like a really super intelligent uh culture guy man exactly i mean gonna be a positive addition to any locker room and like talk about intelligence super intelligent you know defender on, on really on both ends has makes all of the you know, does the minutia really well of basketball um you know if you know like the shooting isn't the, the indicators for shooting aren't really there, but you know, if he end up growing, growing into it, somewhat of a shooter could could find his way onto an plausibly find his way onto an NBA floor at some point. If, just love you, if, like, Houston
0: can, if Houston can get him to hit corner threes, boom, that's, that's another that's, center for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a valuable player. I mean, if you can get, if you can get Freddie Gillespie to hit corner three. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, all right. So um, more to our next question.
0: Yeah. Uh, so our next question is from by Eli Hoff. Uh, who is a player with one absurdly specific elite skill uh, that lacks all-around talent? Lacks lacks all-around
1: talent was like an was like a tough thing for me. So I went with like a couple early guys with with very elite skills that have a lot of holes. Um, a couple early guys that definitely don't lack like all-around talent but have like very elite skills are what Arja Hampton's burst. And then it was saving Lee's burst um, as both really, elite. both of those guys have other skills, but I would say like they have plenty of glaring weaknesses that, you know, that, that burst doesn't, doesn't, doesn't all make, doesn't all make up for. Um, and then I went just for just, okay. So I also had um, like a, a manual quickly, Sam Merrill, less Sam Merrill, cause Sam Merrill can pass really well, can pass. And then you're quickly shooting uh type, um, and then I went with, um, I lost it for a second. Oh, yeah. Uh, I went with Christian Doolittle pull-up shooting, just because, I mean, <laughs> like, it's, it, like, he's not, again, like, lacks talent is all relative, because, like, these guys are all, like, somewhat draftable players, and none of them truly lack talent. But, like, Doolittle, like, just being, like, the best six foot seven plus pull-up shooter in the nation and pretty questionable everywhere else in terms of skills and intelligence, like, I I think he's kind of an interesting one for for this one. Uh, I'm curious to see what what you had here.
0: Yeah, I thought about RJ, but I think a lot of the appeal for me with RJ is that he's on a pretty strong developmental arc um, as a decision maker. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, he's not like a one – I wouldn't say he's a one-skill prospect. but but
1: Definitely one standout skill that,
0: you know – yeah but I think there are other elements to it like it's not just burst it's that he has like crazy stride length and ability to vary it and like I, I yeah. think that we
1: re- re- rewarded burst as slashing but even then that, get, that gets into like sub skills and
0: yeah and and I mean I wouldn't even say that he's necessarily an elite slasher because of his finishing woes uh, you know lack of oh. ambidexterity, contact aversion, lack of touch uh, so i I I, I decline to include RJ. Um, I have two that I'm fairly surprised you didn't mention. Cause I think they actually, well, one of them's not that specific. So I'll just go with him first. Uh, Wiseman, just like his physical attributes that there yeah. are not human beings as large as James Wiseman, really. Uh, you know, he's seven feet with a, the wing, I think his wingspan is, is kind of disputed, but it's somewhere between seven, three and a half, seven, four and seven, six. Um, and his standing reach is really crazy as well. There just aren't really human beings that big, um, and that can run in a straight line in the way that he can. Uh, I don't think he's all that great at much else, but just like being that large is really valuable. Like I, I like I, when I kind of like when people ask what the appeal of Wiseman is, like I, I don't say that like being, I don't say being like that large to be um you know dismissive of him being that large matters a lot for basketball like when you when you can just seal a guy off and it's a dunk like that is super valuable um when you can run like that in a straight line when you're that large it's super valuable um it's not top 5 pick valuable but being that large is worth a lot uh i and i don't think that he's really all that great at anything else um the other one that's that's really like pretty obvious to me is Nismith. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. And yeah, I'll I'll say catch shooting
1: for him. Yeah, I should have had that one. I
0: yeah. Instead that. of I mean you could you could say movement shooting, but he's really great off spot ups too. But 95th percentile score on spot ups this year, 97th percentile on off screens on like crazy high volume. Dude's a ridiculous shooter off the catch. I don't really believe he can shoot off the dribble. So I would say that's pretty specific. Uh, He cannot do anything else. He cannot get by anyone ever. He can't finish. Uh, He's a terrible decision maker. He is really, really slow, just, like, can't really move defensively. I don't think that he's, like, dumb necessarily, but one, lack of range is really big. Like, being able to cover ground, I think, is one of the most important things for a defensive player just because, like, seeing something doesn't matter if you can't get there. Um, He has lots of weird, like, really, really weird – miscommunication miscommunications on defense but also like seemingly not understanding the scheme in a way that i don't really think i've seen from anyone else in this class like he just doesn't know what yeah. like like he has a lot of like
1: really strange ones where i'll kind of just like run away from the ball or like do something really but just like, like, the,
0: things, like, like where he do- strange things like where he doesn't know what the coverage is on like a pick and roll but like very very frequently um really odd uh Maybe, maybe a coaching problem, maybe a lack of engagement problem. I don't know, but weird, like just an odd, unusual thing. Uh, lots of issues in that regard. I just think he's, he's you know, not a good defender really at all. Um, but, you know, shooting off the catch, that guy's amazing at, at shooting off the catch. Uh, and that will probably make him an, an NBA player for quite a while. So I think Neesmith is like the obvious one to me that it's like, he really has a pretty specific skill, and I don't like much of anything else about him. Uh, yeah, I guess he's like kind of tall, kind of long, uh, but yeah, I, I think that not, he. I think he,
1: not even that tall. I mean, like no, like but six. he's
0: he's, six, he's not, six with like yeah. a pretty plus wingspan. Um, so for like a if he's like a like a two guard, I guess he's got pretty decent size. Um, but yeah, I don't like anything else that he does. Uh, should we move on? Yeah. Okay. Um. From Journalist Nate, is there a Dort-like player in the 2020 NBA draft? Someone derided for one glaring weakness despite other strengths, maybe even with the same shooting to strength body ratio. Uh, Najee Marshall is the guy I have in mind.
1: As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit BetOnline.ag to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back sports bonuses. Bet online, your online wagering experts. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control, but there is one thing you can control, and that's shaving your bush. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawn Mower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down low. The Lawn Mower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawn Mower 3.0 trimmer. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ARMCHAIR at manscape.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscape.com, and use code ARMCHAIR. It's time to grab twenty twenty by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Um, I mean there's nobody really with like the same profile as Dort specifically. I mean, he I mean, again, like we we talked about about his weaknesses. I mean, I was probably a little too low on him last year, but still, I mean, I think being low on him is still reasonable. I mean, just that his his, you know, age plus strength plus on ball like on ball defense is has value. Um, I yeah, just like a really powerful
0: athlete too. Yeah, he is like.
1: a powerful, powerful athlete. I mean, you could just see it when you watch him play. Um, and, and like just being a fresh freshman-aged, like freshman with that powerful of an athlete, um, projectable on-ball defender even in college, and like that was valuable. Even if he's like a total nothing on offense, um, like found a role even if not in the playoffs. Um, again, like like there's nobody really similar to Dort, you know, especially not amongst the freshmen in this class. A guy who I have, um, um, probably almost like more of my own deriding is, you know, is Mason Jones and his finishing, um, you know, and that what that glaring weakness being like his zeroth percentile, you know, horizontal and vertical explosion. I mean, um, despite that, he is a ridiculous finisher with just super outlier strength and dislodging and finishing touch around the rim, um, and I think that you know, I, I think there's a world where he 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 finds a way to make that to make that happen in make that useful in the NBA obviously not not going to be in as high usage role as as it was in Arkansas but i think there's a world where where mason jones finishing comes into handy off the bench or you know in an ancillary role uh, either attacking closeouts maybe even you know occasional creation role like if, if, you know if if he's able to finish and and you know push guys around at the rim is as good as 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 it seems to be as it's seen in college he could certainly prove, you know, people like myself wrong who still remain a little lower on Jones because of the aforementioned, you know, athletic concerns.
0: Yeah, I didn't have a great one for this either. I don't know that there really is one. Uh, I think Najee is not a bad example because I really like Naji Marshall's a slasher. Uh, the way he attacks off the catch um, with footwork and burst is really impressive, and he's a very good finisher. Um, uh, and and a really useful defensive player as well. It's just the shot is a big question. Uh, of course, not, like, the imposing physical presence that um, that Lou Dort is. But, uh, you know, impressive athletically in his own way. Uh, the other guy, or I had two more guys. Um, one that you had already mentioned for a different question, Sabin Lee. Um, not, like, not a brilliant player from an IQ standpoint. Um, not a shooter at all. But... If you just talk about, like, the fastest players in college basketball, uh, just the most explosive athletes, just really insane guard athlete. Um, and that's worth something. Um, you know, I have mild interest in him. Uh, and then the other guy I have, because if we're, if we're saying, like, the rest of the package, the prospect package is good, there's just one really glaring fault flaw. I'm going to say Tilly again. Like, if you're just talking about guys that are great basketball players, and I don't think Lou Dort fits that, to be clear. Like, I think people have gone way overboard with the Lou Dort thing. Like, I I actually kind of liked him last year as far as, like, poor decision-making, non-shooting guards go. Like, I found him to be entertaining, and he got to the rim on 45% of his half-court possessions. Um, But, you know, he's clearly a deeply flawed player, and he's an NBA player, but I don't know that he's ever even, like, a remotely good one um but tilly has the one flaw it's it's health like that's it if killing Tilly, like will you be even the slightest bit surprised if next year killian tilly is playing rotation minutes on a playoff team
1: no i mean i I mean like assuming it's healthy of course like i i mean and get the opportunity
0: yeah so so if we're if we're just talking about guys who have one glaring flaw who it would not surprise you in the slightest if they're playing a real role on a playoff team a year from now. Um, I feel like the obvious answer is Killian Tilly. Because the yeah, guy's an incredible I'm... he's an incredible basketball player, and it's just the injuries. Yeah. All
1: right, so on to the next question. Um, from at Blitz Nine. Would you trust Nick Zaji to make a game winning three?
0: I cannot believe that we have made this canon. That Zeke Naji's name is now Neek Zaji. We have
1: we have done an impressive thing, Max.
0: We've, yeah, we've done. A- um, but yeah, uh, but I trust Neek Zaji to make a game-winning three? Uh, not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, may- not right now. At some point, maybe. Um, I I like him enough as a shooting prospect. He definitely appeal uh, definitely appeals to me more as just a mobile big. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I like his shooting enough. Um, you know, he's current currently pretty effective from, from, I don't know what, like 18 and in, uh, like from the corners, I think, I think he'll probably be fine. Um, but you know, if I really trusted Zeke knowledge as a shooter, I would have him higher than I do.
1: Yeah, uh, I wasn't intending to, to really answer this question seriously, so I just had, of course, in my in my outline, um, nee absolutely Z- Zeke Naji, like um, like you said, I'd have some reservations. Um, I mean, it, I I mean, like if he's like a wide open Zeke Naji three, like you can ask for worse shots, at, like on a game winner, like.
0: Yeah, I don't know what what will like, that be at, at his like peak shooting ability, like yeah, a thirty five percent shot.
1: I mean, like that. I think a lot. I mean, even if you think that's optimistic, like, yeah. I mean, like a wide open shot from like a somewhat decent NBA player, like, it's fine. Like, yeah. I, like, like you could you could certainly get worse game winning game winning shots. Yeah, like, I think uh, that's fair. Like a, a sideline on balance, skip pass to the to, to the corner with with point five seconds left. I mean, that wasn't particularly open,
0: but. All right. Should we move on? <laughs> yeah, let's move on. I feel like, so we're going, we're switching back and forth, but I feel like this question is intended for me. Um, so I'm going to ask it and then answer it. And then, right. and, then, and then you can, you can answer it after me. Um, so this is from Coop underscore Pat, uh, best fit for the Celtics between RJ, Tyrese, Maxi, and Cole. Uh, and then and would you package 14, 23, 30 to move up for Killian if the opportunity presents itself? Um, first part, definitely Maxi for me. Um, we talked about this in pretty good depth on our lottery recap with Spencer. So I don't want to go into it too much, but I think Maxie is a really good fit for the Celtics, uh, offense that really gives ball handling opportunities to a lot of guys who are then expected to be able to shoot off the dribble, uh, to get to the rim, to make solid decisions. Uh, I think that he definitely fits better in that respect than Cole, uh, and for sure RJ. Um, I don't know if you saw Ben, or I'm sure you did, but there was an RJ shooting video making the rounds, RJ in an empty gym. Um, We
1: love our empty gym shooting videos on this podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we read into them a lot, and we certainly care what happens, and then we ignore when Denny is playing uh, BSL playoff games and continuing to flail his legs about when he takes off the dribble shots. What? Um,
1: Oh. (laughs)
0: um, So I I like Maxi best for sure. I think he's the best fit for their offense, Uh, and I think he's the best prospect of those guys. Um, not to mention, I think that, oh yeah, I should have mentioned this during the, during the playoffs thing, but another thing that I've kind of realized is important, not from a prospect level, but on a team building level is stylistic diversity in scoring and beyond just like, a, you know, needing a guy who can shoot pull-up threes and a guy who can get to the brim, but like guys who generate their pull-up threes in different ways. So like Jason Tatum you know, needs a good ball screen, but then he's going to come off, and you're not going to be able to touch the release. Kemba Walker is going to stop on a dime faster than anyone in the league and pop it instantaneously directly behind the the arc. Like he does not take deep threes ever. Like uh, among the high volume uh, like pull up guards, like look look at their shot charts and compare how Kemba's hug the line versus Dame, Kyrie, Steph of course. Like it, Kemba hugs the line and it's because of the manner in which he generates his off the dribble three point looks. So, like stylistic differences in how you generate shots as a creator are very important. You just need people who score in different ways. Um because I, like if, you know, a defense is adept at taking away one of those things, um you know, you're kind of screwed if you have Two guys who, who like if you have two six seven wings who are like kind of pull up three point shooters who you know need guys who are really going to take ball uh, on ball defenders out of plays um, and don't really have a lot of ability to get to the rim or or like fi- like finish versus a great drop big de- big defender like you're going to run into problems. Uh, you need diversity in scoring. Uh, you need stylistic diversity, uh, and that's where I think Maxi comes into play for the Celtics. That he is a guy who. You know the Celtics are not really capable of scoring that well. I would say like 15 feet and in. Um, Tatum's not a good finisher. Brown is not that good of a finisher. He's definitely a lot worse in the half court than you'd think. I think he's about 40th percentile this year, and his volume was not that high. Um, Kemba can can finish at a you know high, relatively high efficiency, but he's not a high volume rim guy. He is, however. A uh, good mid-range shooter, but not not an elite floater guy by any means. So I don't think that the Celtics have a guy who's really that like high-level intermediate scorer. Uh, and I do think Maxi is that guy. Uh, so I think that he would be an important piece to have long-term, especially post Kemba. Uh, and one another reason that he's highly appealing just stylistic differences in how he scores. Um, so I think that he's the clear guy. You want to you want to do that one before we do the trade-up one.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't really have that much to add. I mean, you said all the things that I would have said. I, I'm definitely in agreement there. I think Maxi is the best guy, out of the threes. Just you know, like you said, with with the Celtics offense, you know, one that likes guys to be able to play on the perimeter and and do and do things with the ball. Um, just Maxi's Maxi's tendency to to be decisive and to attack when he gets the ball, in pretty much every situation. Uh. It's really useful playing off of the gravity, you know, of Jason Tatum currently, Kemble Walker. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's a great fit offensively. Works works super well defensively. Another really intelligent team defender to to add to their, you know, growing collection of really intelligent team defenders.
0: Yeah, and more so than those other guys, Maxie can also definitely switch. Like I trust Maxie yeah. to guard up positionally. Yeah, a lot he's more. just stocky. Like yeah, he can.
1: Definitely hold up. I mean, definitely more than any of their other one one sized players can uh, at this point. Besides Marcus Smart, of course, who doesn't really count there, uh, could just being
0: the out, the the living outlier that he is. Um, so yeah. yeah, smart Smart is probably the best like weapon. Like I don't know, fifteen feet and in on the team, honestly, because yeah. he had he has like a floater game, and he has the you know he'll get he gets uh, his defender in jail every who single time, you know and he'll foul draw and shoot floaters and leaners. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I Hayward can Hayward can kind of score in that range as well. Um, yeah. but right. I, I, do think that that like stylistically, that's something that they need long. Right, yeah. Is a, is a guy who can score All that right. area in the floor? All right, so the next um, one, well, should, should we do the, um, would 21? you trade 14, yeah, 23 yeah. and 30? Yeah. Um, so, oh, that's really tough. I, oh man, if, If at 14, you can get Maxi, and then with the later picks, uh, this is 23. They have 26. They have 14, 26, and 30. If you can get Maxi at 14 and uh, some sort of, you know, stash or trade out with one of those picks and Tillman with one of the others, I don't think I would do it. I think I would rather have Maxi, Tillman, and some other asset as opposed to Killian. But... Otherwise, I think I would do it. I think Killian is really exceptional and would be an unbelievable fit uh, for the Celtics long term and even short term. I think that he could play for them. Uh, but that's tough. That's a lot to sacrifice, and it's important not to be overconfident in uh, your evaluation of one player because you know it's it's always beneficial to have multiple swings. Yeah,
1: I said no, um, just because, you know, I think if, if I can't get Maxi, I would rather have – I would take Killian over anyone not named Maxi in those two picks. Um, but assuming I can get Maxi, like you said, I mean, with the way this draft levels off, I'd just rather have more swings at the back end of the first, which is likely going to have quite a few players that, you know, we personally value, you know, higher than they're going to actually fall. Um like I mean, if I were able to do this draft for Boston, and you know have this trade, and you know let's say I'm on the clock and, and you know looking to trade up, um, and 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 Maxi is there, I'm not trading up. I mean, um, so yeah, I mean I wouldn't do it, assuming I can get Maxi the kind of the same answer. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, should we move on to, uh, from Sean Forty Two A Z? If Halliburton isn't a lead guard, is he really that valuable? Isn't he potentially Lonzo without the rebounding and defense?
1: Um, I mean, we've talked about this so much on this podcast. Like, he's not a lead yeah. guard. I mean, I, I, the reason I added this question, because I think the the actual, like, answer is just repetitive in terms. I, I wanted to talk about the Lonzo comparison a little bit. Um, and I think it's a little bit overused and over, you know, oversettled as something that's like a set comparison. I mean, Lonzo, I mean, kinda of, I mean statistically he has like lots of similarities to Halliburton in terms of usage and free throw rate. Even then Lonzo, you know, free throw rate was better than Halliburton's was either year. But like Lonzo as a college player was very different from Tyrese Halliburton, especially as a scorer. Someone who frequented difficult off dribble jumpers, um, and really was like really did engine that UCLA offense where whereas Halliburton did not do that for Iowa State as well as he should have, um, and like like I said, Lonzo has turned into a player that people envision Halliburton as. When I think Halliburton's more that guy right now, and Lonzo is very different when when he was at UCLA to the guy he is in the NBA. I mean, so I think that's why I, I kind of caution the the, the straight Lonzo comparison. It, it makes sense as you know Halliburton being that connector as we've talked about so much. Um, and it's like how valuable really is that connector especially if you can't be like a really good connector Um, you know I think Halliburton definitely could be because you know he's pretty special you know he has pretty special intelligence on both ends of the both ends of the floor gonna shoot spot ups well um, has traits that fit there but uh, it's just it's a difficult bet to make when he just wasn't like when he wasn't high usage in college I mean I, I mean, we talked about this before on the pod, but you know like the high usage role like the low usage role players that were that were low usage role players in college like pretty much don't exist. Um, like like these guys were all high usage or most of these guys were were high usage in bigger roles in in college. My fig- my favorite example of this of that of that is Tori Craig, who at USC upstate had like a 30 usage, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. At USC Upstate, um, he had a over four years, Tory Craig had a career 29.5 usage. Um, and that's Tory Craig, like Robert Covington. Was it
0: Pat, Pat, Pat Beck, Pat like, Beck.
1: averaged a 40 ball in high school? Yeah, Pat Beck averaged 40 ball in high school. Um, PJ Tucker, high usage in college. Robert Covington, high usage at Tennessee State. Like, all of these guys handled loads, and and Halliburton just doesn't. I mean, so. I don't mean to rag on Halliburton, uh, but like, like the like, be, be, beware of this the, the straight Lonzo comp because you know while there's certainly st- stylistic and even statistical similarities, there's I think there are more differences than you know generally people people talk about.
0: Yeah, my answer for this is that I'm pretty sure we've dedicated multiple episodes <laughs> uh, already to this. Uh, I will direct you to episodes thirteen and fourteen. Uh, philosophical debates with, with our friend PD uh, we've talked in depth about not thinking that this is actually that valuable nice thing to have for sure uh, highly additive if you have a great team in place uh, if you are the Knicks and are drafting Tyrese Halliburton 8th overall it's going to end very poorly um, yeah and uh, with that I guess we should move on you want to do th- this is our last one of part yeah. one Yeah. Let's do it. okay <laughs> All right, um, so from, uh, uh, so from
1: uh, excuse, excuse the potential misfunction, Typha Live, T Y P H A Live. Is the 2021 returning class being underrated? Also, what are your thoughts on Trey Mann being six foot six now? Okay, is Trey Mann six foot six now? Okay, that of? was the question that caught my That's why I included attention because my thought was, <laughs> is Trey Mann really six? Six? I, you know, I found an article that claimed that he was six foot five now. Um, um yeah, I, I believe this is GatorCountry.com uh claims that he has noticeably grown um and looks taller than Scotty Lewis. Um so that's certainly interesting. Um Yeah, I mean uh, I don't you know, I'm skeptical until I see with my own eyes, but like
0: I mean and Dude, again- Trey, Trey Mann Man is gonna come back and he's gonna be like a dominant team <laughs> defender at 6'6, six, six, and he's no longer gonna be a guard and the decision-making stuff isn't gonna matter, and he's just gonna be a total stud.
1: Yeah, he still um, has to like put on weight and get to the rim. I mean, yeah. Like, uh being 6'6, six, six, you know, doesn't make him any better as a slasher. But like I mean it does, but like marginally with his skill set. Yeah,
0: I mean, if if he's like a wing now that would be interesting but uh i, I eh. don't know like, like yeah.
1: Scotty Lewis is six foot five and he's barely a wing like
0: yeah my opinion of treyman will change the next time that i watch treyman play uh basketball, basketball. yeah
1: <laughs> the, the sporty plays
0: yeah. um is the 2021 returning class being underrated though i say yes Probably, yeah. uh i like i don't even know if it's underrated i feel like well i, I don't know how it's like really discussed in in like two or to really
1: have a rating, like in terms of like popular consensus, yeah, but like, I like it, I like it a lot. Yeah, uh, I-, I have in like my early like ish 2020 board, I have like five or six returners in like my top 30. Like, and and, and the thing to remember is like there's always going to be returners that surprise, like, like, like preseason mocks and boards always have fewer. You know, non-freshmen than final mocks and boards. will I mean, we look at like you know, t- 2019. Um, you know, Brandon Clark, Jarrett Culver, John Morant. None of those guys were in the top 10 of any of really any preseason boards. Grant Williams, any preseason boards, all skyrocketed um, up there. So, I mean, same with like Tyrese Halliburton this year. I mean, in some boards, yeah. O- top
0: Obi top. Toppin who Toppen. certainly exactly. entered the year. So.
1: Yeah. Oh, we top in – so, like, there are always guys who emerge, and there, there there's there's a really strong crop of not only guys who played well last year and are underrated, you know, Deuce McBride, uh Franz Wagner, but guys who, like, didn't play as well as they could have and, you know, have a chance to rebound. We, we've talked plenty about, like, Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore on this podcast, Anton Watson back healthy, Romeo Weems in, you know, a potentially more, more on-ball role. So there's, like – I think there's – really quite a bit of room for uh, for returners that like to pop off and and break out in this class. so yeah, I mean, I really like this returning class. um I mean I, again, like too too early to say that it's the one that lacks like stars because it's just some people returners break out. i mean it, it, just, it just happens like
0: I think there are like guys who are just like clearly high upside returners like I don't know dj carton um yeah. and it, like we've talked about him a lot in the past, obviously. Uh, and don't want to get like too caught up in the aesthetics of his game, but just a like pretty ridiculous athlete with, with kind of special shiftiness, um, and, and some some serious, uh, intelligence there. Just, just, you know, an exciting creator prospect. I I also like, I don't want to get too carried away with the deuce thing because he's six two and like a pretty bad decision maker. Um, but like, oh my God, what an incredible defensive player, uh, who can create for himself off the dribble. Yeah, I mean, but oh my god, that guy, like, what a ridiculous 6'2 defensive player, man. Like, <laughs> off the ball, on the ball, just in transition, like, just absurd. Like, really just kind of crazy. Uh, Adore Deuce McBride. But yeah, like, Romeo Weems, I don't think... Six. Deuce, I think Deuce is like 6'2". Right? Oh, no. He's not that... Big. He plays bigger. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Not- no, for yeah. sure. Yeah, because, I mean, he's jacked. Uh. Romeo Weems, I think, like, doesn't get enough attention. I, like, he is not Devin Vassell uh, by any means. Like, I would say probably worse on the ball for sure and, like, really not a good decision maker. Just, like, very, like, weirdly hesitant offensive player. But if you're kind of tabbing, like, wing guys to really explode uh, on the draft scene next year, like, Romeo Weems... He's. I mean, you talk about guys who have the ability to actually cover ground to be, like, really ridiculous team defenders. Romeo Weems is one of those guys. Like, he has some Vassell-like sequences in terms of ground coverage. And, like, Vassell is a really, like, total outlier in that sense. But but Weems is kind of, like, you know, he, he, he's got some similarities there. Uh, and just, like, his track record as a creator is pretty strong, at least as a self-creator. Uh, to the point that, like, I it really would not surprise me if we're, we're sitting here a year from yeah. now and and Romeo Weems is viewed as like a top ten guy. Yeah. Uh, would not shock me at all. Yeah, like he's he's certainly not going to enter the year as a top ten guy for me. Probably, I don't know that he'll even be a top twenty guy. But he's like
1: twenty-ish uh, in my mind. I mean, like
0: yeah, but like he, yeah. like I feel like he's he's kind of just like kind of obvious as a, a guy who's really a good prospect. Uh, And, like, I don't know, one of my favorites, Jerry, I think is just a really good basketball player. Yeah. You talk about, like, a modern inside-out forward who is kind of, like, lacking in glaring weaknesses, just a guy who you can envision being, like, in a team context being useful um, as a guy who just, like, you know, flows through offensive possessions really well, is mobile, is a smart defender. (laughs) I'm talking about guys who are intelligent
1: and lack glaring weaknesses, like –
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, he just kind of, like, screams playoff player, um, especially if the shooting continues to progress the way I think it will. I think that he can be quite a good forward shooter. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I really like the returning class. Uh, I think yeah, that there I think are a like lot it, of good
1: players. I like it a good bit
0: more than I liked last year's before the season, I think. Oh, yeah. A, yeah. Like, a ton more. Yeah, Because last year it was like, what, you were looking for – a guy to be the top returner so that you wouldn't just have 30 freshmen in your top 30. Yep. And it was like, All right, do you, do, you, do you really buy Xavier Johnson? I think unfortunately both of us did, but then it was like
1: he was my top returner, yeah.
0: Trey Jones, there was, I mean, Tyler Ty
1: Tyro was in my like 30 range. Aaron Wheeler was like, Oh man, Wheeler, 30s. that was a bad call. God, he was he was so good as a freshman though, like, yeah, he was pretty good. He just did, like didn't, was totally did nothing this year. Yeah. Like, yeah, Aaron, but Wheeler. You, you know,
0: you know, who was a good call of Vassell? Vassell. Was, I had I, I'm so gonna, I'm gonna, like, I had yeah, to I'm gonna forget about Wheeler and pat myself on the back for Vassell. I
1: think i had Vassell like in like the, like the mid 20s. I'm, a, I'm proud oh, of that damn. call. Yeah.
0: Um, what, I mean, I did
1: not expect him to shoot to shoot to, to make five pull ups in the first game of the season.
0: Yeah. That was, oh man. I remember watching that live. That was, yeah, that I was nuts
1: reacting to your tweets live.
0: Well, yeah. Cause I was just, I was watching this and he hits one, I think in the first half, he hits one pull up. Uh, and then you go check synergy and you're like, well, yeah, he didn't really do that last year. Uh, and lo and behold, he, another... he, hit, he hit one pull up, I think in is his entire freshman year. Yeah, I... uh, and then the second half, he's just like, Oh my God, Devin Vassell, what on earth? Like you have this genius wing defender who now is apparently a pull up God. Uh, and it kind of continued for the, for the year. And that's why he's, Oh man, I've got Vassell like got him up to six, I think. Seven. I have, seven.
1: Yeah, I have him five. He's been five for a long
0: time. Yeah. We love Devin Vassell. We do. Um all right. So, sh- should we call this for part one? Yeah.
1: Yeah, let's call it. Um, thank you all for listening to this mailbag. Again, if if we don't get to your question in the next part, feel free to to drop it to either of us on Twitter and we'll be happy to answer it. Uh make sure to follow the pod at prep number two pro pod. Keep leaving reviews five star ratings those are really really helpful for, for growing our listenership it doesn't take that much time so we, we, we'd be very appreciative uh, if you would do that for us uh you can follow max on twitter at max a carlin follow me at ben underscore pfeiffer underscore and with that we'll see you all on wednesday